it's Thursday, the 17th of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang President Yoon Suk-yeol has welcomed Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to Seoul, where they agreed to expand the participation of Korean firms towards major Saudi infrastructure projects. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. For Korean Politics Digest today, we unpack the controversial decision by the Yun administration to bar local broadcaster MBC from the presidential plane ahead of the Southeast Asia trip last week. And then coming up on Explore Korea, we discover a new cultural space in Seoul that's been created from a disused parking lot ramp. Let's begin Korea 24. We begin by briefly mentioning the fact that more than half a million people sat for the annual state-administered college entrance exam, also called Sunung. The country came to a standstill as usual, with office hours starting later than usual, planes being grounded to make sure the listening part of the exam is not disturbed. And once again, the exam takers took the exam while wearing masks for the third year running. We hope it went well for all the students out there and we wish them all the best for when they receive the results on December 9th. OK, let's turn to our top headlines now. President Yoon suk yeol and Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman met in Seoul today and agreed to expand South Korean firms' participation in the construction of the infrastructure for the mega smart city project NEOM, located in northwestern Saudi Arabia. Our KBS World Radio news editor, Kui Jin, joins us now in the studio to give us the details from that and other deals announced to coincide with the Saudi Prime Minister's visit, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, Jang. So, what can you tell us about their meeting at the presidential residence on Thursday? Well, the presidential office said Yun and Ben Salman agreed to enhance and encourage their nation's mutual cooperation in multilateral sectors, including that of defence and future energy. The two held in-depth discussions and exchanged views on bilateral cooperation, as well as regional issues pertaining to the Korean Peninsula and the Middle East. Yun noted that Saudi Arabia is South Korea's largest trading partner in the Middle East, a key construction associate overseas and a vital economic and security companion. He also said it is time for their relations to take a leap forward as Saudi Arabia seeks to open a new future through its Vision 2030 roadmap. Bin Salman, who also serves as Saudi Prime Minister, responded by lauding Korean business contributions to the development of Saudi Arabia's national infrastructure since they established ties in 1962. Neom City is a key element of Bin Salman's brainchild Saudi Vision 2030 and a megacity construction project that incorporates smart technology and aims to break away from Saudi Arabia's oil-centered economy with a mammoth budget of 500 billion US dollars. And early in the day, a slew of agreements were announced at an investment forum set up by Saudi Arabia's Ministry of Investment and South Korea's Ministry of Transport, Infrastructure and Energy. 
and it's valued at a combined 30 billion US dollars. Can you tell us more? Indeed. Uh, South Korean businesses signed 26 memoranda of understanding worth tens of trillions of won with the Saudi government and companies in conjunction with Bin Salman's visit. This took place at a bilateral investment forum hosted by the Trade Ministry and the Saudi Investment Ministry on Thursday. The latter signed five MOUs with South Korean firms concerning railway, chemical and pharmaceutical cooperation. One of them was with Hyundai Rotem for a railway contract worth 2.5 trillion won, which will form part of Neom City. Uh, 18 MOUs were signed between South Korean public and private firms and Saudi public and private entities, including the Saudi Sovereign Asset Manager, the Public Investment Fund, or PIF. The Korea Electric Power Corp., the Korea uh, Southern Power Company and the Korea National Oil Corporation, um, POSCO and Samsung CNT, signed an MOU to build a green hydrogen and ammonia plant worth an estimated 8.5 trillion won with the PIF. Saudi Aramco subsidiary S-Oil and three local builders struck deals in engineering, procurement and construction contracts worth $7 billion in the Shaheen project to build a steam cracker for the petrochemical business in Wulsan. Reuters and Saudi-based Ashok TV said the projects all combined are estimated at around $30 billion U.S. dollars. Okay, let's move on to other headlines now. North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile towards the East Sea on Thursday, just eight days after its previous missile provocation. The latest missile was launched shortly after acerbic threats from the country's foreign minister in response to Seoul, Washington and Tokyo's pledge to work towards a stronger US extended deterrence. So walk us through the details of what we know about the launch today. Well, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said it detected the launch from Wonsan, Gangwon province, towards the East Sea at around 10.48am Thursday. The JCS said the missile flew around 240 kilometres, reaching an altitude of 47 kilometres at a top speed of Mark 4. South Korea and the US, uh, which has been in the midst of a missile defence exercise, put their training into full gear immediately after North Korea's provocation. The latest aggression follows a last Wednesday's launch of an SRBM from South Pyongan province towards the East Sea. Less than two hours before the latest launch, the North's Foreign Minister Chesani warned of a more violent military response should the US stand by a plan to strengthen its extended deterrence to regional allies. On Sunday, the leaders of South Korea, the US and Japan agreed on the sidelines of ASEAN-led forums in Cambodia to reinforce the US extended deterrence and to sternly respond to uh, North's uh, provocations. Che said uh, Pyongyang's military actions will pose a more serious, uh, realistic and inevitable threat uh, to the US and its allies and that Washington will begin to realise that it is taking a gamble that it will regret. Seoul's Foreign Ministry spokesperson Im Suk uh, slammed the North for blaming the outside world after escalating tensions in the region. Im said the North's recent moves, including today's launch, was very regrettable. 
Now, the launch also comes after the United Nations passed a resolution condemning human rights violations by North Korea. And Hijin, this was a bill that South Korea co-sponsored for the first time in four years. Indeed. Uh, the third committee in charge of human rights issues held a meeting at the UN headquarters in New York on Wednesday and passed the resolution by consensus without a vote. This is the 18th bill of its kind since 2005. Um, the resolution drafted by the EU will be presented to the plenary session of the UN General Assembly next month. South Korea co-sponsored the resolution for the first time in four years, as you said, and North Korean ambassador to the UN, Kim Song, uh, rejected the resolution and dismissed it as a political scheme. This year's resolution added calls for North Korea to release all information pertaining to foreign nationals who have been subjected to human rights violations by the regime to their families and national governments. This uh, reflects South Korea's efforts to obtain details uh, related to the shooting death of a South Korean fisheries official killed by North Korea near the western maritime border back in 2020. Turning now to the economy, real income for households dropped for the first time in five quarters on the back of high inflation and scaled-back pandemic relief. So uh, what more can you tell us? Well, according to Statistics Korea, the average household earned 4.86 million won, or around 3,600 US dollars per month in the July to September period, to rise 3% on-year. On-year consumer prices climbed 5.9%, the fastest since 1998. Still, real income decreased by 2.8%, while income from state benefits slid over 18% as pandemic-related compensation and subsidies were scaled down. The income gap between the bottom 20% and the upper 20% brackets widened in the cited period. The country's distribution ratio for disposable income, a key barometer for earnings equality, rose 0.41 from the previous year to hit 5.75, meaning the top income quintile earned that much more than the bottom 20%. And finally, South Korea's largest trade fair for video games, G-Star, has kicked off at the Bexco Exhibition Centre in Busan. Can you tell us more? Yes, the event opened for the first time in three years since the COVID-19 pandemic. 987 companies from 43 countries are participating in the expo under the slogan, The Gaming Universe, once again into the world of gaming. Over 2,900 booths will showcase an array of products, such as new releases from large domestic uh, game companies such as Nexon, which will feature Dave the Diver and Cartrider Drift. Uh, NeoWiz will showcase uh, Lies of P, the winner of three awards at Europe's largest game fair, Gamescom 2022, a first for a South Korean game. The event will be held for four days from Thursday to Sunday. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. The 
The Yun administration recently courted controversy after it banned local broadcaster MBC from the presidential plane for President Yun Sung Yeol's recent trip to Southeast Asia, citing MBC's repeated distorted coverage. Uh, meanwhile, earlier this week, the Seoul City Council passed an ordinance to abolish funding for the broadcaster TBS over its alleged left-leaning political stance. These two cases and more have sparked debate on the issues of press freedom, freedom of speech and the relationship between the government and media. We'll be discussing that debate here as well now for Korean Politics Digest with our regular two expert guests. First, we have in the studio Law Professor Song se from Kyung University. Professor Song, hello. Hello. And joining us on the line is affiliate Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hello. Let's jump straight into that MBC case first. Journalists from MBC were barred from the presidential plane for President Yoon's recent trip to Southeast Asia. His office said the decision was made in light of repeated, quote-unquote, distortions and biased reporting on foreign affairs by MBC, adding that the exclusion was inevitable to prevent a continuance of such reporting. To provide more context, the office took issue with NBC reporting that during Yun's trip to the U.S. in September, he used crude language towards the U.S. President Joe Biden and the U.S. Congress, which was caught on a hot mic. Yun's office vehemently denied that the comment was about the U.S. government and has since criticised NBC for reporting fake news. Now, uh, Professor Song. What's your take on this case and the decision by the presidential office to bar NBC from the plane? The International Federation of Journalists condemned the decision, saying that Yun's continued targeting of NBC sets a quote-unquote dangerous precedent. Well, <clears throat> the getting on a plane, presidential plane for a journalist, I, I think it's a courtesy extended by the the president's office. It's not essential for reporting that you have to be on the plane, and it's a limited space anyway. But uh, I, I do think that uh, the NBC getting barred is a little bit unusual. I mean, it's a major, major um, a broadcasting company and the journalists, so it does look uh, bad, and I think it does have a little bit of a chilling effect uh, to 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 uh, other uh, journalists in Korea. So I, I don't think it was a good uh, move politically. And with a low rating, uh, I think it's particularly kind of piling up on uh, some of the missteps that the President Yoon made vis-a-vis uh, -vis the journalists. Uh, however, I, I don't think it fundamentally think, uh, uh, indicates that the Korea... Uh, is oppressing on the journalism or the the way it's reporting. Sure, but it's the fact that uh, they're singling out NBC that's perhaps uh, you're saying is what's concerning. Professor Kim, what did you make of the presidential office's decision? I personally think that they had not done so. Uh, it doesn't look good, uh, but then again, on the other hand, uh, you may, you quoted the criticism saying Yun's continued targeting of NBC. But the thing is, NBC is there, and I recognize NBC's continued targeting of Yun as well. So this goes beyond the question of uh, freedom of speech. I'm not really not sure whether this is actually an issue of freedom of speech. Whether I see the 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 role of media as the bigger uh, issue here. 
And uh, personally, uh, maybe it's me, uh, maybe not. The, every time I turn on NBC's evening news, I see uh, reports after reports uh, attacking Yoon all the time. And that one-sidedness of NBC's reporting itself, uh, I see a lot of problem with it. We can talk about, you know, like a... Uh, what the issue really is is this a really freedom of speech or world of media but i think it's a it's the second issue that's at stake and and uh, even though it doesn't look good i think presidential office as professor Ong mentioned it's a courtesy so uh i think presidential office has a choice to offer the seats or not and indeed politically was this a smart move or not frankly truly i'm really not sure uh, on positive side, on the side of Yoon, uh, the, his supporters would say, well, they did the right thing by doing so, and by doing so, they highlighted the one-sidedness of uh, NBC's reporting, and this is a good thing that they brought this issue to the table to be debated. So that's, uh, that's my overall observation on NBC. I do agree that there's a bigger picture at, at force here, um, especially for NBC, uh, ever since they changed the, the 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 ownership structure, they have been struggling with the political tendencies kind of shifting back and forth, uh, depending on who's who's uh, at the ham uh, at the at the blue house. So uh, I, I think that this independence problem, the objectivity of the the journalism, uh, has been an issue. Now I, I do think that the journal journalism or the the papers or the or the media uh, are entitled to have their political tendencies. Mm. I mean, that's part of the freedom and part of the uh, fun. We we know that KBC is miraculously keeping in the middle, but then Kyunghyang and the SBS uh, is on the kind of conservative side, and the NBC and JTBC they are on and kind of a, on the left side. That's all fine. Uh, but I do think that added on to the YouTube and all those uh, SNS medias, fake news, and all those things, um, I, I think the industry itself has to develop uh, some sort of internal kind of filtering mechanism to um, make it more orderly for them, but uh, more importantly, the, the journalism in Korea uh, anywhere has a big uh, role to play in shaping opinions and uh, un- unearthing the the truth, uh, whatever that may be these days, uh, we cannot really uh, resort to the opinion journalism like the, mm. the foxness in the in the U.S. We've seen so much of a downside of it. So uh, I think we can do better, but uh, making the noise and making kind of in- instances kind of gives you a pause. Uh, what we need to do to make that happen. Well, actually, I think this is a really big picture. We are uh, facing very serious picture here. Uh, Professor Song mentioned KBS miraculously uh, stay on balance, but I'm not sure whether that's really the case. KBS Korean Broadcasting Radio, they have hosts of current affairs program mm. who took over their posts as the former progressive commentators, and they continue to make progressive comments as the host of the Korean uh, you know, language radio programs uh, day and night. And uh, uh, is that their role? Actually, hosts of the show, they are to invite 
uh, you know, voices from both sides, but they are not doing so. So I'm not sure KBS is free from this uh, criticism. And what's happening overall, if we include KBS and NBC and all that, what we have to face is uh, a fact, in my own view. It may not be a fact in other uh, people's perspective, but fact for me that the fact that for the past five years on the Moon government, there, there has been a conscious effort to move media overall, terrestrial media where government has influence over towards to the left. And we have hosts, program directors who are bent to uh, inject progressive views in their programs rather one-sidedly. That is a real issue. And in a way, I'm glad to see the Yoon government not trying to repeat what Moon government has done, and then even what uh, Yim Young-bak government has done. Yim Young-bak government has done the same thing. When they came into office, they said, well, the media has gone too much to the left, so we have to move it to the right. There was no right thing to do in a dramatic way. They did so. There was a wrong thing to do. And then Moon government did the same thing. So I'm glad to see Yoon government not doing that. And in, in trying to restrain itself, uh, making this kind of gesture on presidential flight, uh, it's totally understandable from my perspective. Well, first, Professor Song, let me perhaps ask, is it possible for KBS, for any news organisation to be completely neutral? And if not, uh, is it so bad? Shouldn't all opinions, whether it be extreme ends of the spectrum, uh, be respected? There is an argument that uh, accepting different views help change society for the better. Well, uh, just like the the corporate boards, uh, I, I think that the people get together and it's a it's a human efforts. So uh, the collective wisdom tend to kind of flow on one side or the other. Uh, however, I, w- I would need to look at, uh, especially for the NBC case, their big problem was the governance. Their board, uh, the ownership structure has a, a setup uh, in such a way that the, the, the ruling party uh, get to pick six people as opposed to the other uh, three out of nine members. So that kind of uh, system kind of structurally uh, foster the the political tendencies to flow one side or the other. Uh, I, I think that the dependence can be secured in many different ways. Uh, I think one of the ways would be to increase uh, somehow their the public tendencies, public nature of it. Uh, NPR in the U.S. comes to my mind, but may, that may not be the perfect example. But uh, uh, that, that kind of uh, reform uh, would be better, uh, better suited in Korea rather than having a very extreme-natured uh, mm. journalism on either side. The United States is uh, full of bad examples. Let's be reminded of what's happening. CNN on side and then Fox News on the other side. Mm. This is the path we want to avoid. Uh, you know, these main uh, media channels, technically I wouldn't call it terrestrial broadcasting, but let's say main broadcasting channels, their, view, uh, their main job is uh, being a means rather than the ends. Ends, making political decisions and stance. That's people's choice. And they have to play as a means, a role of means, by providing both sides of the voice the way I see it. I mean, newspapers would be a different case, but this territorial broadcasting, they have to do their best in exercising 
uh, freedom of speech by inviting both sides' voices, taking turns, and so on. But that's not what I see happening in the case of NBC and some of the KBS Korean language radio shows as well. Uh, Professor Kim, is it one of the reasons why, uh, for example, if you take the US, CNN or Fox, the reason why uh, it becomes more polarized is because that's what people want and demanding and it's what sells. Essentially, these aren't uh, public companies. These are private companies. And they have to make money at the end of the day. Right. 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 So so CNN and Fox may not be a perfect example or parallel examples for Korea's NBC, KBS, or uh, SBS. Uh, you know, Korea channels may have a bigger public role to keep uh, balance all together because we really don't want to go where United States has gone. The society getting polarized, getting divided, uh, being split in half. We recently even had uh, cases of religious communities, religious leaders, Anglican Church and Catholic Church, the priests saying outrageous things about uh, President Yoon praying for his plane to crash and then uh, having publicized their views in, in such a manner, and even some of them losing their jobs and so on. The way I see it, it's not their personal problem uh, as much, per se, but it's for me, it's much more greater social problem that we see indicating that that the whole society is getting split up so much, even those people who are supposed to be uh, standing in the center, people in religion, people in the media, taking side far away and then getting really emotional and angry about it. This is not good for the society. And if this continues, Korea will be pulled towards the direction that the United States has gone. That's what I'm afraid for. Right. Afraid so, you're, of. so you're saying the comments by uh, those two priests are a symbol of perhaps the... Uh, a symptom of the political polarization in Korean society, then? Exactly. Well, generally I agree, but I have to make a distinction that SBS or JTBC, uh, they're private companies, so I'm fine with whatever they do. But KBS and NBC, because they are owned by the, the government, um, the, the created company, uh, they do have to have in their mission and DNA the the uh, public uh, utility uh, kind of function, public uh, nature. So I, I think they they have to be more careful as to uh, whether they they uh, uh, foster or the care for the broader audience mm. in mind, rather than just uh, targeting for the sake of making money or profits a very narrow sector uh, of the society, just like you know Fox or MSNBC does in in the United States. Right, just to clarify a little bit, KBS is not a government-funded organization, but it is a public service funded by uh, license fees. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about another example of a broadcaster, a city-funded broadcaster this time, being accused of being uh, too left-leaning. On Tuesday, the Seoul City Council, which is governed by members of the ruling People Power Party, passed an ordinance enforcing the suspension of its hefty financing of broadcaster TBS. Uh, they pushed for the move, arguing that many TBS programmes were politically biased and have lost their sense of fairness, particularly the morning show News Factory, hosted by the firebrand uh, journalist or personality Kim Ojun. The DP and the broadcaster have opposed the move, arguing that it would infringe upon the freedom of the press and the rights to survival uh, by its members, uh, Professor Kim, what do you make of the situation concerning TBS? And is this another example of uh, the political polarization that you were talking about? 
Professor Song mentioned KBS and NBC as a public uh, organization. KBS, that has been sustained by, uh, you know, city government's uh, budget in big part. Where does city government budget come from? It comes from the taxpayers' money. And the Seoul citizens, they chose PPP to be the majority of the city council, and city council took this action. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think that the direction itself is not wrong-headed here. And I, for years, I have been concerned looking into what has been happening at TBS. Uh, you know, this supposedly public organization to be supported by the citizens of Seoul, half of them are conservative, half of them are progressive. But I have seen individuals, program hosts, even program directors, uh, weaponizing the media in order to achieve their political means. That's a serious, serious case here. Uh, this, is, this public organization is not something they can weaponize in order to achieve their political means. That should never, ever happen. They should have uh, done their best to introduce voices from both sides and let the people decide. That is their job. They're not political party but they have actually done uh, similar things for years. So it has been, uh, you know, I've been increasingly concerned about it, and I've been feeling that there has to be some kind of corrective measure. And, uh, you know, when uh, Mayor Oseon first came into office, I was rather concerned that he's going to introduce some kind of dramatic measures repeating the, the, the mistakes of the past of the central government and city government in dealing with the media, but he has not done so. He has given it time. He has waited until the local election took place. He has waited until the PPP uh, you know, comes in as the majority, and then he let the city council make the decision. So, so I have no problem seeing what has been happening for the last uh, several weeks and months. Well, as far as I understand, TBS took the steps to be more independent and took, took them uh, out of the uh, ownership of Seoul. And mm. now they're independent entity, supposedly, uh, since 2019 or Sure, but they still get most of their funding from uh, the Seoul government. Right. So the Oseon, uh, Mayor Oseon's decision or the, the city government's uh, decision was to whether continue to fund them or not. So I, I think it's uh, their right to decide whether... Uh, they would just completely make it independent. I, I think they should uh, give them an a, a ability to raise money by selling c commercials uh, if they were to do so. Uh, but uh, I, I think that the completely cutting them off in the matter of two years, probably, that's too fast. So I would question the wisdom of, you know, uh, making too too uh, fast, making that too fast. But uh, I, I think that I have no qualms about uh, having uh, Mr. Kim Ho-jun having a, a opinion journalism if mm. they choose to do so. But uh, if we were to do that, that, they have to do it under the current setup of independent media or they're, uh, uh, they're making money or the, they're making their existence uh, persist with their own cognizance rather than depending on uh, taxpayers' money. Uh, the, the sole government. So they got to make a choice one way or the other. Mm. Well, they, yeah, yeah. I agree with most of the points that Professor Song has mentioned uh, here. And the thing is, uh, in letting TBS become independent now, uh, 
Well, what about what has, hap- has been happening for the last several years based on people's tax money? They set up this, in my own personal subjective view, political organization, producing political, political mm. uh, you know, messages and so on. Uh, what do we do? Should we let them go on based on the foundation that they have built based on people's tax money and become independent media organization? I, I think better way is, uh, you know, they should just leave TBS and set up their own organization from the ground zero up. And then TBS, uh, I wish we could find some ways to make the organization more centrist, independent, like introducing both sides of the voice with the support of, uh, you know, city governments. Uh, sub, uh, funding in the long run. Uh, I think what has just happened right now is the right thing to do in my own personal subjective opinion, but long way to go. Uh, I think what I just mentioned is the right direction to pursue. Uh, supporters of Kim Ojun's show and people uh, perhaps are more left-leaning could argue that uh, the Korean media landscape has traditionally been too right-leaning, that the system... Uh, essentially is working against them, uh, that the three largest newspapers uh, are conservative in nature and they've held a lot of power in the past and that before figures like Kim Ojun, uh, the voice of perhaps liberals were underrepresentative in mainstream media, uh, they would say that perhaps Kim's show is a, a counterweight to that. Uh, I, 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 have a, I have a big problem with Jo Jung-dong playing... Uh, political force for the last several decades. I, I'm against the idea, but the thing is, against Cho Jung-dong playing conservative political rule, we've seen rise of a very powerful, also progressive media organizations on the other side. So it's none of his business. If he has a problem with the conservative newspapers, uh, Kim Ojun should set up his own newspaper. But this kind of a terrestrial broadcasting system He's the first one who has done so, politicizing a channel. And uh, this is something he should do his, on his own, but not based on uh, sole citizens' taxpayer money. Mm. When we say Cho Jung-dong, we of course mean the three newspapers, Chosan Yilbo, Dongai Yilbo, and Chuang Yilbo. Uh, Professor? Right. If you just count the traditional media, yes, that could be the case. We have a historical baggage about being conservative on the media. But we have to... Con- uh, include these days all my news and neighbor and all those uh, SNS based uh, media and also um, those uh, companies that set up uh, after the re- the reform. So I, I think the whole picture can arguably be uh, if you look at it from the conservative side, uh, they are overwhelmed by the the liberal medias that are cropping up without being filtering. Now I go back to the earlier theme. That whatever the land picture is, the government should not be the one who's trying to be a uh, trying to be a traffic cop, but the industry as a whole has to develop some sort of filtering mechanism, uh, coupled with the government's uh, effort to uh, make it more independent. Uh, I, I think that uh, these administrations, whatever the intentions are, trying to fix uh, the, the journalism, trying to fix the media problem. It's not their place uh, these days in 21st century in Korea. Uh, the, the government should uh, be off the the job of trying to meddle hmm. with the media or journalism. Well, it's certainly been an engrossing topic today. The uh, debates will likely rage on, especially if the uh, presidential office continues to uh, perhaps make an example of NBC and other outlets as well. 
and the issue of political polarization is something that other countries are facing as well. So I'm sure uh, we'll get more opportunities to discuss it. But for today, we'll end it there. Professor Kim, Professor Song, thank you both for your time and your considered thoughts, as always. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 34.55 points, or 1.39% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,442.90. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 5.56 points, or 0.75%, closing the day at 737.54. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 14.11 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,339.11. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to our daily segment, Korea Trending, taking a look at some of the other news stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we are joined by Diane Yu, one of our contributors for this segment, to Bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you again. Hello, Jango. It's good to see you again. Okay. So what topics do you have for us today? First, we'll take a look at a special story of a female student in South Korea who took the college scholastic ability test today in a room just for her. Next, we'll go over the latest updates on the story of a Korean flight attendant who was stabbed in downtown LA. And we'll end with Artemis 1's spacecraft Orion's selfie with Earth revealed by NASA on Wednesday. Okay, let's dive straight into our first story. Can you tell us more? So today is the biggest annual academic event in South Korea as more than half a million students sat for the college entrance exam. Mm. High school seniors, graduates and others signed up to take the state-administered college scholastic ability test, a nine-hour, five-session exam held at some 1,370 test sites across the country. And just over in Busan, there was one test site just for a high school girl suffering from a rare and incurable curable disease. For her, the Busan Metropolitan City Office of Education dispatched two supervisors, two police officers and one inspector to administer the test. Right. So I presume that this was because it would be dangerous uh, for her to leave the hospital ward uh, with her condition then. Right. Uh, she has been receiving treatment continuously since she was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called very long-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency at the age of three. It's a condition that prevents the body from converting certain fats to energy, particularly during periods without food. And if treatment is delayed, it can lead to death. So when taking a long test like the CSAT, there is a very high possibility of an emergency situation. So receiving an intravenous drip is necessary in order for her to finish the test. Wow, despite all that, uh, that did not stop her from wanting to take the test, which is pretty incredible. Uh, She was determined, but I'm sure others might have been more worried, not Mm -hmm. least her family, Diane. Right. Her mother said that her daughter was nervous before the exam, but her condition was fine this morning after a good night's sleep and a hearty breakfast. (laughs) The mother said that she told her daughter, quote unquote, you have your own speed and you have done well so far, and gave her gratitude attitude to the teachers, hospital and the education office for supporting her daughter. Yes, everyone pulled together to give her the chance to uh, take the exam, it seems. And uh, yes. we certainly hope that it went well for mm-hmm. her. Uh, let's move on to our second story. And unfortunately, it's about a stabbing incident involving a Korean national overseas. Can mm-hmm. you tell us more? 
A South Korean female flight attendant is reportedly in serious condition after being stabbed by a man at a supermarket in downtown Los Angeles. According to Los Angeles Police Chief Michael Moore, this random act of violence was committed by a homeless man in his 40s who picked up a 9 to 10 inch knife from a Target store's kitchenware section. Then he stabbed a nine year old boy at around 6.20 p.m. local time. The suspect moved to a different section of the store where he stabbed a 25 year old Korean flight attendant who was staying in the city after working on a flight from Incheon to L.A. She was rescued by some good Samaritans who pulled her into a nearby pharmacy. Right, so it was a flight attendant and a nine-year-old mm-hmm. boy. That is quite distressing. Right. Uh, what do we know so far about their condition? The two victims are receiving treatment at a hospital, but both are both in serious condition. The boy was transported to a hospital in stable condition, but his health deteriorated due to potential neurological damage from the stab wound. The second victim, the flight attendant, is in a serious state after suffering a deep stab wound to the chest. Local media and her flight company said she was in surgery, and according to the foreign ministry, she is now in the ER and is able to talk. Well, we certainly hope they pull through and make a full recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Were the police able to catch this suspect? The police chief said a security guard tried to subdue the attacker with a baton, but eventually shot him. Uniformed police officers who were in the downtown shopping complex on another call responded to the incident quickly and took the suspect into custody. And the suspect was declared dead at a nearby hospital. Right. Okay. so... Overall, an awful incident indeed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's uh, turn to our final story now. Uh, What else was trending today? So NASA's Orion spacecraft has sent home its first stunning views of Earth and the inside of the spacecraft on Wednesday. This historic Artemis 1 mission took flight in the early hours of Wednesday morning after months of anticipation and delays. The milestone event kicked off a journey that will send an uncrewed spacecraft around the moon, paving the way for NASA to return astronauts to the lunar surface for the first time in half a century. Yes, it's incredibly already 50 years since mm-hmm. man last stepped on the moon. Right. Uh, we originally reported the spacecraft's planned liftoff back in August, but uh, numerous problems have caused its delay. Thankfully, mm-hmm. it is on its way now. And this is a great achievement, not just for the US, but for 20 countries involved in the program, including South Korea. Right. So tell us more about the pictures. So Artemis 1 consists of a large launch vehicle called SLS, or the Space Launch System, and the Orion spacecraft. There are a total of 24 cameras installed, 8 on the SLS and 16 on the Orion, to record the flight process. Orion's selfie with Earth was recorded about 9 hours after the rocket was launched, at a distance of about 92,000 kilometers from the planet. And at that time, the spacecraft was traveling at 8,800 kilometers per hour. What's significant about this image is that it's the first time since 1972 when NASA conducted the final Apollo mission that a lunar orbiting capsule captured a picture of Earth. Yes, and you mentioned that the uh, inside of this spacecraft was also revealed, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interior images of the Orion capsule were also released with a mannequin pilot Munikin campus inside, wearing an orange spacesuit designed to reduce radiation exposure. And it's the same type of suit that will be worn by astronauts in the next phase of the project. Orion is expected to log roughly 2 million kilometers, and after orbiting the moon, the spacecraft will make its return trip, completing its mission through deep space in about 25.5 days. The capsule is then scheduled to splash down in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of San Diego on December 11th. 
Yes, I understand that because it's been so long uh, since such missions have taken mm-hmm. place, uh, they are being very careful, which is why they're sending mannequins this time. Right. A manned mission around the moon is scheduled for 2024, mm-hmm. and a mission to land people on the moon's surface is tentatively scheduled for 2025. Yes. So uh, more exciting missions are coming, but mm-hmm. we'll first see how this one goes first. Yes. Okay. We'll wrap it up there for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. We continue on now to Explore Korea, a weekly segment where we look to uncover some historical, cultural and travel highlights that the country has to offer. This week, it's the turn of our travel explorer, Hannah Roberts, who's here with us in the studio. Hannah, hello. It's uh, great to have you with us again. Always good to be here. Okay, so what will you be introducing us to today? Today, I'm going to take us to a newly opened attraction at Seoul Station and also let people know about some other sites in the area that they might be interested in. Okay, so a new attraction at Seoul Station, you say. Can you tell us more? Yes, uh, the place I want to shine a light on today is the very new but also old (laughs) uh, attraction called Docking Seoul. It's a concrete parking lot ramp that has been repurposed as an art exhibition space. And that's just the ramp, Mm, (laughs) not the parking lot. Right. It's connected to a parking lot which was connected to the original Seoul Station building. And uh, it had been out of use since 2004 when the new uh, KTX station building opened. The old station building has had since been transformed into a functional public space, but the parking lot had been left alone, abandoned until last year mm. when the Docking Soul project began. And now it's a space where people can go to enjoy immersive art experiences. Right. As you said, it's just the parking lot ramp that's been converted into this art space. We say ramp, but actually it's quite an imposing uh, concrete spiral structure that goes up several floors and it has been revamped to make this art space. Uh, But Hannah, why is it called Docking Soul? So it's named after the fact that this ramp connected people and traffic to Seoul Station, Mm. which in turn connects Seoul to the rest of the country and... the the rest of the country to Seoul. Mm. So it's a nice reminder that despite it seeming like a mere parking lot ramp, it played an important part in people's journeys for a time. I see. So there is quite a literal uh, meaning to the name. Yes. Okay, so tell us, what can we see inside? There are five exciting levels that visitors can walk between and explore. Seven art installations by local artists greet you at each turn of the ramp. And in the very centre of the bottom floor is a very bright and eye-catching art piece that echoes the lines and flow of the ramp itself. Mm. Many of the works discuss daily life, human connections and society. And each of them is very different from the last. And so Docking Soul presents people with a thought-provoking and very engaging experience. Indeed. We'll have some pictures on our Instagram page, KBS underscore Career 24, showing the space and some of the works on display there currently. It's an interesting use of the uh, abandoned space and the works on display look like they are 
specifically designed for the location as well, right? They use their uh, surroundings. They do, yes, they do. And it's also, I, I will say, as a, an Instagram user myself, it's very photogenic. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so yes, they use their surroundings to make some very unique and striking works. It definitely looks like a place that's worth a visit if you are in the area. On that note, Hannah, uh, how do we get there? Docking Seoul is located directly beside the old Seoul Station building, which is located on the subway lines 1, 4, and also the Gyeonggi-Jungang and the airport railroad lines. Mm. Uh, exit 1 and 2 will get you the closest to Docking Seoul, and then it's just a short walk around the back of the building to the entrance. It is closed on Mondays, but is open 11 till 8 every other day, and entry is free for all visitors. Yes, it's always nice when it's free. Okay, so this is a uh, new attraction, but you said you wanted to talk about some other sites in the area as well, right? Yes, yes. Interestingly enough, Docking Seoul is not the only attraction at Seoul Station repurposing unused uh, spaces for traffic and transport. Following along with the theme and directly attached to Docking Seoul are two popular spots for both tourists and locals, and mm. they are Seoul Law 7017 and Culture Station Seoul 284, which you probably heard of. Yes, we've talked about it on the show a couple of times before as well. Right. Uh, first, Seoul Law 7017, though, uh, that is the overpass that's been transformed into a public green space, right? That's right, yeah. Solo 7017 is a public garden and a walkway that used to be part of an elevated highway or, like you said, an overpass through the centre of Seoul. Uh, built originally in 1970, um, it, was, it was constructed to relieve congested traffic around the busy roads of Seoul Station. Mm. But when the highway was closed in 2015... Uh, the road was repurposed as a sky garden. Solo 7017 is named after the years of its construction. 1970, it was born. Uh, 2017, it was reborn. <laughs> right. Um, it stretches one kilometre from just north of Seoul Station to the front of Namdaemun Gate and easily connects pedestrians with other parts of the area as well as with nature as it's home to over 220 different species of plants. Yes, it was a model on the uh, High Line in New York and it's certainly an interesting yes. uh, public infrastructure project. What's the best way to get there? You Seoul Station. <laughs> Seoul Station exit one. You can take the elevator up to the walkway or there are stairs as well. And you can also go from Nandiman Station at exit four or exit five. And that way will take you, uh, it slopes up onto the, the walkway there. So not much of a hill and no stairs to take. Sure. So it's connecting uh, Seoul Station and Nandiman Station, yes. essentially. Okay. And we have one more location, right, Anna? As uh, we mentioned, Culture Station's Seoul 284. Yes, also on the theme of disused traffic spaces is, as you say, Culture Station Seoul 284, which inhabits the old Seoul Station building. Originally called Kyungsung Station, the building was constructed in the 1920s on the site of the original Namdaemun Station. It was later renamed to Seoul Station and functioned as the main station building until it was closed, like I said earlier, in 2004 when the new one opened. But due to the old building's historical and architectural significance, a project began to restore the insides to its original state, you mm. know, how it looked in the sure. 20s. Now it's called Culture Station Seoul 284. And it is a multifunctional arts and culture space and, you know, a museum to the station's past. There are both rotating and permanent exhibitions going on, both in uh, 
art that you can look at as well as art you can listen to. Right now, I think it's a jazz music experience. Uh, and the website even has a VR compatible tour for anyone who's not in Seoul to see it in person. Interesting. As we said, we've talked about it before because there are always uh, some compelling exhibitions and events going on there. Okay, so how do we get there? We can go to Seoul Station and take exit one or two, which would take you directly to the entrance. Uh, that is the best way to get there, of course. Mm. Uh, it is closed on Mondays, um, but it opens 11 till 6 every other day, and it is also free to go inside. Yes, also free entry. It is interesting that uh, these three spaces, they're all uh, have the same theme of repurposing yes. old abandoned buildings. And it is interesting that uh, uh, they do this and that they're given a new lease of life, really. Yes, I like it, you know, bringing the, the new to the old and sure, but still exposing them. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, that ends up uh, uh, our little tour of uh, Seoul Station and some sites around there. And it's also interesting to learn about that new site, Docking's Hole, as well. Mm-hmm. Hannah, thank you for that. Uh, we'll leave it there. That was our Explore career this week. Take care and we'll see you next time. See you soon. This is Matt Dalton, goalie for Anyang Hala. You're now listening to Korea 24. We've come now to our final closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, we're joined in the studio by our staff editor, uh, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you again. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what do you have for us today? The first article has the message of it is never too late to follow one's dreams. It can be found in the lifestyle section of the Korea Times. Kwang yun writes about So Yun Nam. She is a knitting artist and she is still going strong at 89 years old. She knits clothes for dolls. Okay, so there's several points that are quite harassing <laughs> there. So she's a knitting artist. Yes. Uh, and uh, she's going from 89 years old, incredibly. She is. And she knits clothes for dolls. She does. Okay, so uh, can you tell us more? Has uh, she been knitting uh, for a long time then? You said it's never too late to follow one's dreams. Can you tell us a bit more? Well, So has always been a creative person, but originally she dreamed of studying art in college. Sadly, her dreams were put on hold because of the Korean War. The article mentions that instead of going to college, she ended up taking classes at a knitting school. So in Daegu, she learned knitting and sewing, and during this time, she outperformed her classmates. Her teacher realised her talent and later handed over the Hagwon business to her. Wow, OK. <laughs> so a very interesting way to start her career then. It really is. But she retired at the age of 38 after giving birth to her second child in 1971. Since then, knitting has been more of a hobby. The article mentions that watching her jewellery designer daughter's exhibition in 2005 was what so needed to follow her passion again. Right, so she's back to knitting uh, clothes for dolls then? She is, and has been holding exhibitions for her works. She is currently holding her 10th exhibition until November 25th. It is called Neat Knit, Beautiful Solidarity, and it is being held at Naudi Art Centre in Seoul. For the exhibition, So made knit clothes for a collection of BTS dolls, the K-pop group. <laughs> the article explains that her granddaughter, a designer named Yoon Bo Min, said they watched BTS's music videos and studied their fashion style. 
So it might be worth looking if you're a BTS fan. Yes, it's a, an incredible story, really. So please do check out uh, tomorrow's Career Times for more. OK, let's uh, move on. What else do you have for us today? Next is an article from Hwan Dong-hee in the weekend section of the Korea Herald. I apologise in advance if any of our listeners are feeling hungry right now. Now that the weather is getting colder and it is coming up to winter, it means that winter street snacks are back. Winter street snacks, yes. right. OK, so walk us through some of the popular winter snacks in Korea then. Well, first let's look at bungabang. It means cut bread. It's not made from fish, but it is a fish-shaped waffle that is filled with red bean paste. It is a snack that is enjoyed by all ages and is probably the most famous winter snack in Korea. The article says that it is made by frying flour dough in a fish-shaped iron mould. Yes, you apologise in advance to any of our listeners who are feeling hungry right now. I think you should <laughs> apologise to me as well because <laughs> I'm starting to feel very hungry as well. Uh, what other snacks are there? Well, the next is actually my favourite and that is hotdog. It is essentially a sugar-filled fried pancake. <laughs> the dough is made from rice flour and you can find brown sugar, cinnamon and nuts inside it. That's the classic version anyway. Mm. You can also find other variations like green tea flavour. The article mentions that there are popular vendors in Guangzhou Market in Seoul. It also goes more into detail about other types of winter food. Right, the important point is these are not just tasty foods, but they're hot. Yes. So they warm you up on a cold winter's day. And that's what it's about, about that warm feeling in the cold air uh, as you swallow these uh, delicious bits of food. And they're yeah. pretty cheap as well. And you can find them usually on most street corners. Exactly. OK. So, yes, uh, do check out the uh, Career Herald for more tomorrow. That's where we'll wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show for today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow to avoid exposure to yellow dust. South Korea's weather authorities recommend you take caution during bouts of yellow dust. You're advised to stay indoors with windows sealed to prevent the dust from seeping in. Wearing protective glasses, masks and clothing with long sleeves is recommended when you go outside. After returning home, you're advised to wash your hands and feet, as well as brush your teeth. Air purifiers and humidifiers can help keep the air filtered and clean. Infants and elementary school children should refrain from outdoor activities. All produce, such as fruit, vegetables and fish, must be washed sufficiently before consumption. You should also wash your hands thoroughly before cooking, so that dust particles don't get into the food. Those raising livestock should keep their animals inside and shielded from the outside air. Crops should be covered with vinyl or tents to protect them from the dust. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures.
Thank you for tuning in to KBS World Radio. KBS World Radio is Korea's flagship international broadcaster, airing in 11 languages. The English service of KBS World Radio broadcasts news, music shows, and more on various platforms, including shortwave radio and online. Visit our website at world.kbs.co.kr where you can find the latest news and stream all of our content. We are also available on mobile. To listen to our 24-hour service or our programs wherever you are, download the KBS Kong app or KBS World Radio on-air app onto your smartphone. We also want to hear from you. Visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash and email us at english at kbs.co.kr to let us know your thoughts. Thank you. World Radio.